Hello and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin as always. Very busy podcast coming away and it's all about reviewing the last couple of days but also looking ahead to what is undoubtedly the biggest game of the season thus far for Minnesota United against FC Dallas. Before we get to that, Kay, let's refocus on the last couple of days, shall we? Um, Minnesota United were coming into this game against Real Salt Lake off the back of three straight victories for the third time this season. No doubt the fixture list extremely congested at this stage, meaning there were six changes to the lineup that beat Houston Dynamo at Allianz Field on Saturday. Um, first and foremost, before we get into the intricacies of the game in Salt Lake, what were your thoughts on the approach to that day at Salt Lake? Because it's always so difficult in this league when you've got a short period of time to prepare for a, a team. Yeah, and I mean, I had zero issue with the approach to the way Adrian Heath wanted to go about playing in this game and the roster and the rotation and um, Emmanuel Reynoso staying behind. No problem with any of those things. I thought that those, and not that it, he cares about my opinion per se, but I think that when you have the kind of schedule that you have upcoming and that you know what is ahead of you and you know it's FC Dallas at home, I think that first and foremost, you have to take care of business at home at Allianz Field. And if you talk to Pablo Mestroeni, who's the head coach of, of Salt Lake, he's going to do something very similar, I would guess, when they go on the road and play LAFC. He knows they had to put their best foot forward at home against Minnesota United. They've got to try to get the results at home against difficult opponents. And that's what they did. And Minnesota United threw out a really good roster, a great lineup. And yeah, you're missing a few starters. Um, but this was an opportunity for other guys to step up. And I think that um, had no issues with uh, the approach of the game as far as the the team that was put out there and the depth and the quality of the roster and the starting 11. Um, I think, you know, in the moment, the 4-3-3 seemed like the right decision, but sometimes then when you get in the flow of the game and you feel like you're being a little bit outnumbered in the midfield and it was a new midfield three on top of it, um, maybe that once you get into it, you can kind of feel that there's something uh, missing there. But ultimately, um, Real Salt Lake was just the better team on the night. As we say, there were a slew of adjustments for Minnesota United, largely because of this forthcoming game on Saturday against FC Dallas, which we'll talk about a little later on on the pod. Um, a new look to the team in terms of personnel and a tweaking of the shape, as you mentioned as well, Kay. Um, there were first MLS starts for both Jonathan Gonzalez and Mender Garcia. What did you make of their performances? Well, I think that... Um... I don't know that it's a true representation of what we expect from them and what we're going to see from them going forward based on the circumstances. But I do think they had a great showing of themselves. I think that Mender Garcia was trying to stretch the lines. He was trying to use his pace to get him behind. He was trying to be available from a long ball perspective um, and trying to find the gaps, you know, whether he's sliding a little bit side to side and maybe trying to occupy a center back here and there. But for the most part, Justin Glad and Marcelo Silva, I mean, they've, they've proved to be a formidable uh, duo in a center back role. So Mender Garcia couldn't quite take advantage of either of them with his pace. Um, same with Abu Dunlady on the left-hand side. But when we're talking about starters that are making their first appearance here as a starter, um, I think that Garcia is going to be just fine. It was just that the, the service was lacking a little bit. We didn't get to see him. Um, I think how we'll get to see him in, in different circumstances going forward. And for Gonzalez, 
you know, I think he was a little bit unfortunate by the way the game played out. I mean, he and Will Trapp and Rosales looked like they were just running around like crazy in, in the first half, trying to cover space, trying to cover gaps, trying to cover holes, trying to cut off passing lanes. It always felt like there was an extra man in there. Um, Longwane and Donlani were pulled a little bit wider with the outside backs for Salt Lake being a threat. So that forced the middle of the field to be really wide open. I thought when Gonzalez was on the ball, he's calm. He makes good decisions, has a great first touch, switched the field a couple times, trying to find a ball in, in, in some um, different spaces to get in behind for Longwane on the right-hand side, or if it was Benitez making that run. So I don't have any question about his ability. I thought under the circumstances, he played really well, but it was a tough spot for them to be put in for their first start with this team. The one thing I noticed when we hopped on the charter flight with the team after the game, um, I don't know if you saw this, Kate, uh, Jonathan Gonzalez was absolutely livid. Um, he had a face like thunder. And I can only assume that's because of the result and the manner in which the game played out. Um, but also, I can't imagine he felt as though he gave, as you quite rightly said, a true representation of himself because... There was one time, Kay, where he was legitimately viewed as the next big thing. And both the United States uh, Soccer Federation and the Mexican Football Federation were both trying to convince him to play for their national team. Ultimately, he chose Mexico and he's got three caps for them. I'm sure um, there may be some in the future. Um, but you could tell there's, that there's a standard with this footballer. And we perhaps didn't get to see that standard at Salt Lake on Wednesday. And I agree with your assessment 100%. And I love that energy and that fire. I love that competitiveness. I mean, that's something that we see a lot from a lot of the players and, and specifically in that role where Gonzalez is playing, you see the same kind of mindset from a wheel trap. You saw that same kind of um, saltiness after a performance like that from a player like an Ethan Finley. And I know Gonzalez is way younger, but I think that he felt like this was his moment and I'm not taking anything away from his performance because I do think this was a little bit of an unfair moment to be assessed 100%. But I, I love that he wasn't happy with the result, clearly. Um, I think he probably wasn't happy at the end of the day with his performance. Um, but I think that as we continue to see more minutes from him in different circumstances with different players around him in a 4-2-3-1 in a different kind of formation where you have some additional attacking players that can attract some attention and be a threat going forward in a 4-2-3-1 that it will allow him to be on the ball a little bit more. It will allow him to shift side to side and find those pockets and those holes. I mean, you saw in the second half in particular, even after some subs were made, Will Trap trying to direct traffic, trying to get Gonzalez and Rosales in the right space, specifically Rosales more so than Gonzalez, to read the game and cut off some of the passing lanes. Caldwell was constantly open. So it, it just felt like Lufelson found pockets of space. So the, that's a frustrating feeling as a center midfielder when all you feel like you do is chasing. And when you win the ball and you get it and you're trying to keep it and you're trying to be dangerous, but you're on the road against a team that you're trying to play direct, and then you just feel like it's coming right back at you again, that's an incredibly frustrating feeling as a midfielder. So I can understand um, – his feeling and his expressions um, after the game, getting on the team bus and on the team charter. But at the same time, you know that he is a quality player. He's competitive. And I think he'll be just fine and clearly in this league, but in this system as well. So why, why was there so much frustration then, Kay? And why did it seem as though there was 
uh, legitimately at times an extra man in the centre of midfield for RSL because, as you mentioned, Real Salt Lake went with two in the centre of their midfield. Minnesota went with three, yet RSL seemed to have the majority of the possession in that area of the field. Why? Well, and they're calling it, I think they were calling it a 4-4-2 for Salt Lake. So they do have the two midfielders, but you have two traditional outside midfielders that were pushing a little bit higher. And you have your outside backs for Real Salt Lake that clearly were a threat going forward and were more concerned about attacking than defending. So for me, it was about Brody and it was about Herrera and the width they continued to create because that seemed to draw Abu Dunlady and out wide in positions where if Minnesota United's playing at a 4-3-3, they're up higher on the field and they're stretched wide. The, the middle of the pitch for Salt Lake was gaping. And even though Minnesota United had three technically in the center of midfield, there was just they were so stretched out and spread out in that triangle because of the threat of the outside backs, because you have two traditional, uh, you know, in quotations, outside midfielders, and I believe it was Justin Merrim and it was um, Michael Chang. So there was just so much stretching and they used that space so well that it caused the middle of the field, that triangle three, to be discombobulated because then all of a sudden, you know, you have Savarino in there, you've got um, Cordova up top, you've got uh, Lufelson as we talked about, you've got uh, Caldwell in there as well. And, and Justin Merrim loves to cut inside. Brody loves to cut inside. So I just think that the way they were playing the game and the way they stretched it out and they made sure they stayed in those wide areas, um, particularly from an outside back perspective going forward, caused Abud and Lottie and, uh, and Hongwani to be so stretched out that the midfield was just gaping. It was just wide open. Will Trapp was sitting really low. I mean, literally right on top of the center backs with, Brent Coleman and Michael Boxel, and then that left a gap if Rosales or Gonzalez tried to step and pressure a little bit. You didn't really have Mender Garcia dropping in to help defensively. It just always felt like they were one or two men up in there um, with the formation that Messerwini went with. And and um, some changes, you know, Adrian Heath made some changes in the second half, but it still felt like, you know, you were just maybe behind the eight ball at that point, um, down a couple goals and on the road to Salt Lake and a Salt Lake team that's buzzing and knows that they have to get these points at home down the stretch. Felt as though um, it wasn't the best night from the Minnesota United right back, Alan Benitez, who came off at halftime for O'Neill Fisher. As you mentioned, Robin Lutz also was introduced at halftime, as well as Tyler Miller because of an injury to Dane St. Clair. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, and, and as it stands, we, we don't have an update on um, on Dane St. Clair in terms of the injury and if it's going to keep him out uh, over the course of, of an extended period of time. We have to wait and see. Um, Alan Benitez, it's clear at least to me that he's very good from an attacking point of view, which works very well in this system. Defensively, though, Kay, at times I think he gets coarse. Um, recovery speed is not the best and Minnesota United have been used to having uh, a pacey fullback over the course of the last couple of years with Homa Metenia there. Um, DJ Taylor is deputised and he also has very good recovery speed, which is vital in this system because at times when the fullbacks do press so high, the recovery speed and the transition is absolutely vital. Um, you have to get back quickly. And Alan Benitez isn't blessed with pace. He's been caught a few times over the course of the last few games. Yeah, and, and for me, it's not even just about pace. It's just about actually the willingness to run back at full speed. And I don't see that consistently from Benitez. And it's crazy because the first couple games, 
you know, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because he came from a system in which there were three, three backs a five in the back. And he was a very true winger, a right, um, excuse me, a right back, a right back wing back. So he could get forward with a little more leniency and tracking back maybe on his own time. Well, now you're in a four, you know, you know, you have four in the back and the first couple games, he was adapting to that, trying to find his way. He had Michael Boxel alongside of him. And I think there was some communication going on there about what his role is and dropping in and making sure if he's making the runs forward to get back. And I felt like there was some significant progress in that front, particularly if you remember the Colorado game, it was very much similar to what we saw last night at Salt Lake, where getting caught out of position, making the runs forward, just didn't look um, maybe entirely interested in sprinting back at full speed to defend. And we know that Minnesota wants him to go forward. That is initially why that is the priority of why they signed him to go forward, to be dangerous, to serve balls in if, whether it's getting to the end line and being dangerous, whether it's serving something in from a, a, um, a farther out position. We saw him get the assist in the game last week against Houston with the phenomenal, the way he positioned himself and then served the ball in. But in these kind of games on the road, to me, defending has to be priority number one. Going forward is secondary. And if you are going to go forward, you sure as heck better haul back because I felt like the back four was left hung out to dry. But what's crazy is it wasn't always when the ball was on his side. It was when it was served in from the opposite side. Several chances came on that back post with him just not being goal side and then kind of taking his time a little bit to get in that position to defend. So Roma Metanier was maybe a... Uh, I don't want to call him an anomaly, but I mean, he had the pace and he had the effort and he had the energy and he had the willingness to do the work. He kind of checked all those boxes before he went down with his injuries. And we always joked about him having a third lung with the way he could run. So Benitez to me, it wasn't just about pace. It's about him making the conscious choice and effort to get back and defend and understanding when you are on the road in Salt Lake, you've altered the lineup, you've changed the formation, Priority number one, and maybe Adrian Heath told him something different, should be to defend, then you go forward. And if you go forward, fine, no problem, but you have to get back because the way the center midfielders were so stretched, it wasn't like Will Trapp could just consistently drop and cover for him in that right back position because then the middle was even more gaping open. So this was something where I think he just needed to read the game a little bit better. And then when he was in a defensive position, he didn't do great. And Justin Miram is known for a 1v1, is known for taking players on 1v1 and kind of turning them, twisting them, just being smart. He's not super fast either, but he's just cheeky. And um, Justin Miram had a good day in that first half against uh, against Benitez. So, yes, it was not Benitez's best game. And um, hopefully he'll learn from it and a substitution was made at halftime. So before we go to break, Tate, um, if any, what – positives can Minnesota United take from that night in Salt Lake? Well, I think that, you know, Gar Mender Garcia and Gonzalez will be better for the minutes. Um, and I know that they might not find consolation in that comment because they, they will both, I think, be disappointed that they were starting and the result was three nil and that they didn't find more chances offensively because that's the standard that they've set for themselves. But I think they'll be better for it. And I think at this point in the season, it's just a reminder for Minnesota United and not that you needed a reminder, but this Western conference is crazy. This is a moment where you have to step up in these moments and, and find a way to get it done, regardless of who's available, regardless of who's injured, who's going to step up. And I think for me, those are 
those are the bright spots you can take because other than that, it didn't seem like, and Tyler Miller got some minutes. I mean, he was not as sharp as I'm sure he would have liked um, not having played a ton of matches, but he stepped in for Dane St. Clair and, and, and did okay. But ultimately at the end of the day, you just have to move on to the next one and understand that this, this is not going to be easy down the stretch. We talk about the Western conference sitting in the third position and looking at other teams in and around it, you have got to find a way to have consistent performances regardless who's on the field. And it wasn't Minnesota United's best day on the road at Salt Lake. And Salt Lake played better in that game and, and finished on their chances. Yeah, I think for me, I would agree in the sense that I think this was um, one of the main positives. This was a sharp reminder that the Western Conference uh, is not to be toyed with. And not that Minnesota or Adrian Heath were toying with, with Rail Salt Lake, but it was a reminder that uh, everybody is in a very, very similar situation and everybody wants to finish in that top four. And the race for the top four, of course, continues on Saturday at Allianz Field when it's third against fourth. Minnesota United hosting FC Dallas. We'll focus on that after the break. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Everyone, welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Right, um, this game coming up for Minnesota, the game that I feel, okay that doesn't really need too much of an introduction. It's third against fourth. Yes, Minnesota have a game in hand, but as it stands in the Western Conference, just one point separates them. Not only that, just underneath Dallas in fourth, Nashville in fifth, Real Salt Lake in sixth, both on 42, just two points behind Minnesota United. The home games now, Kay, absolutely imperative. Yeah, I think, you know, back to the point of we were making in the previous segment about a sharp reminder of what the Western Conference is. And I was even talking to my husband about it this morning. It's just, you know, you feel like you've got this momentum and you've got this energy and a bit of a setback against Real Salt Lake, but maybe a bit of a reminder but you don't have time, too much time to dwell on that setback or dwell on that reminder because you're hosting FC Dallas. You just listed off all the points in the situation of where everybody can possibly finish based on where you're at in the standings. I think this is a moment for Minnesota United, once again, a 2.30 kickoff on um, a day where you've got to find a way to get the W at home against a tough FC Dallas who... It's been some time since you've lost to them. You beat them at home, at their home earlier in the season, which, as we know, is a tough place to play. They've won five of their last six home games against Dallas. The last loss hasn't come since June of 2018. So you can go with all these stats in your mind about what should or could happen based on the opponent and your record at home against them and just at Allianz Field in general as you've gained some momentum here. But at the end of the day, the players have to play. 
They have to show up. They have to come in with the right mentality. You have to rest and regenerate. It's a quick turnaround. Dallas didn't play midweek like Minnesota did. So they're going to be coming in hot. I'm sure they watched the game against Salt Lake. And I know it'll be a different Minnesota team um, on Saturday, I'm sure. But you've got a lot of weapons on that Dallas team that can hurt you. So you've got to find a way to lock it down defensively. You've got to find a way to go forward to be dangerous. And most importantly, you have to have the mentality and the hunger and the confidence that they've had prior to the Salt Lake game going into this match. Get the goals early. And I, I just think that there, there are no points to give away at this time in the season against opponents like these. This is why Adrian Heath and the staff went with the line that they did in Salt Lake, though, Kay, as we speak about this game against FC Dallas. You're right. No doubt Nico Estevez and Cole will have watched the, the game, but they'll have to revert to previous games to, to look at what Minnesota United really are and get a, a true reflection of Minnesota United. What sort of preparation do we think the likes of Emmanuel Reynoso have done ahead of this game? Because Reynoso was, of course, not with the team in Salt Lake. Uh, Fragapane didn't get on the field. So you would assume both the Argentines would be fresh and ready to go. Um, they've been in scintillating form all season. And undoubtedly, they'll be vital to the cause on Saturday. Yeah, I think for Reynoso, the beauty of his game is that regardless of pretty much any opponent Minnesota United has faced, since he's been here with this club, everybody always says you shut down Reynoso, you shut down Minnesota United. That's always been when we've had conversations with coaches, with broadcasters, whoever it might be, that's what everybody says. And Emmanuel Reynoso is always one or two or three steps ahead of just about everybody he plays against. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's drifted a little bit more into those wide spaces, those pockets. And I don't want to say wide in the sense that he turns into a winger, but almost between the outside and the forward. So you can kind of find those pockets of space to be dangerous, to be effective, to find the ball. And then he starts to play, make and create from there. He's not going to just sit centrally as a number 10 and he will read the game the same way. You can try to shut down a man Reynoso, but he will find the space. He will find the pockets. He will find the ball and the ball should find him considering the teammates he's going to be playing with on Saturday against Dallas to be dangerous, to be effective, to slot that final ball through, whatever it might be. And if they decide to focus solely on Emmanuel Reynoso, the hope is, and the key should be, that you have plenty of other players that are effective in that final third if, if Adrian Heath reverts back to kind of his traditional 4-2-3-1 and, and starting lineup that can be dangerous, that can be effective, that if you key in on Reynoso, somebody else will hurt you. And I think that's what's been happening as Minnesota United has had this success. Oh, I mean, they had 13, a streak of 13 games where they had scored a goal until the game against Salt Lake. They have found other ways to be effective and be dangerous, even if you try to shut down Emmanuel Reynoso. And that's what's going to happen. I don't think Reynoso is going to be home watching an insane amount of film on FC Dallas and every time he's played them and what their tendencies are, because he is smart enough to know that he needs to just read the game, find the pockets of space, shift in those areas, combine with his teammates, and play quickly. I, I personally think when Emmanuel Reynoso doesn't try to do too much, he's more effective. If he's willing to give the ball up and get it back because he trusts his teammates, that he can be more effective than trying to dribble too much all over the pitch. And, and you know, sometimes that's led to silly turnover. So I think Reynoso is going to be just fine. He'll be well rested. And I think this is, um, he'll be motivated after watching that Salt Lake game, even though he wasn't a part of it. FC Dallas, not particularly good on the road this year, Kay. Just three away MLS victories. Um, but 
I get the feeling in, in these types of situations that those kind of records don't really matter too much um, because this, this is going to be a game that will be right on the edge for sure. And my assumption is it'll be counter-pressing from both teams. It'll be fast. It'll be furious, particularly the, the first 20 minutes. They have some individuals that you mentioned that no doubt can cause problems. We're assuming it'll be the likes of Ariola on the right-hand side, who, who's got nine goals uh, so far this year. Um, his U.S. men's national team teammate, Jesus Ferreira, has, has 15 goals this year. Um, they have some really, really tricky individuals to deal with. So what should the approach be for Minnesota United heading into this game? Well, I think, you know, um, Ferreira is an interesting one for me because, well, him and Ariola and Leggett, for that matter, they're all going to be motivated going into this World Cup. Not that they need extra motivation, but now that they're all on the same team and playing together, but specifically Ferreira and Ariola, because I think the second they stepped on the field, and if you remember at FC Dallas, both those players came on as substitutions and did not start that that, that match, to, if my, my memory serves me correctly. And the game completely changed. The energy, the dynamic, the nature in which the game was played. Ferreira may sit up as a number nine, he may not, but he clearly is comfortable as a number 10 if he has to drop and be the final pass. Ariola can, can shoot from range. He can be on the outside. He can be dangerous. He can cut in. So um, similar to Minnesota's front four and how they try to be effective by multiple ways and multiple angles, I think, FC Dallas is going to be much the same, but those are the two main keys for me. Those two players with some service from the middle, um, I think can be the, the key to FC Dallas. And the point I want to really emphasize the most is oftentimes we can talk tactics and we can talk, you know, how are they going to line up? How are they going to um, handle this? How, and we ask the players, we ask the coaches, we do this every week and we listen to the opposing team as well. But at the end of the day, at this point in the season, we have all these nice stats and we have these graphics we create and, and we did the same thing for Salt Lake points since June 29th. Look at the standings, look at where everybody's at, look at the role Minnesota's on, look at the drop off that Salt Lake has had. Um, and that's without their best player in Jameer Krylock. Look at where this team needs to be at the end of the day. It's so crazy to me how mental these games are at this point in the season and knowing that SC Dallas has struggled on the road you want to have that feather in your cap. You want to have that mental note. But at the end of the day, they're going to come in motivated. And we have yet to see anybody just lay down and die on a field when they come to Allianz Field because their road record is terrible and they struggle to score goals on the road. So for me, this is about who, and I'm not trying to simplify it, but so much of it can be about who wants it more at the end of the day, who is willing to show up when it matters in these stretches of the season. And the big players need to be big. And then the other players need to support and be effective um, like we know they can be. But Jesus Ferreira, Paul Areola are, are the keys for me for this FC Dallas team. And I, I'm assuming they're going to start. They're on rest. And uh, last time Minnesota faced them in, in Dallas, they did not start that match, but they were pretty effective when they came on and um, nearly drew that game. Um, from a Minnesota United point of view, we are assuming the starting 11 will have a, a much more uh, first team feel about it for sure to the one that we saw against Real Salt Lake on Wednesday. So with that assumption, Kay, tactically, how do Minnesota get the better of FC Dallas on Saturday? What what is the the key component there? Well, I think of Adrian, which as you just stated, we would assume is going to go back to his traditional four two three one. We're assuming that everybody's going to be healthy and available. I know, you know, the only question mark for me would maybe be Longwane because he played so much last night um, and he did a lot of running in that four, three, three. And then even as the formation changed 
Um, he was, you know, the one making a lot of the runs in behind. So I, I'll be curious to see how he is on Saturday and if he's able to go. And I know he's young and he's got a lot of energy, but there's still a lot to ask. So that might be the only question mark for me. But assuming that Adrian goes back to that traditional 4-2-3-1 and he plays against an FC Dallas side that is trying to gain, you know, gain some ground here and, and continue to find their way into the top so they can host a playoff game. Um I would think that Minnesota is going to continue what's worked well for them, regardless of how FC Dallas wants to set up. Cause we've seen a bunch of different opponents come in and set up different ways to try to prevent Minnesota United from being effective with the outside backs getting forward with some of the combination play. When let's say Benita is effective going forward on the right-hand side and Longwani tucks in and there's a little one, two or Longwani finds that pocket of space and he can be available and play the ball back out wide. Um, does he go with, who, who's going to be in the middle? I mean, now that Will Trapp is back in and Ariaga is back in and you've got Rosales and you've got Gonzalez and you've got these options, who's going to be in the middle of the pitch? Does Robin go back out on the wing and you go back to um, Will Trapp and Ariaga in the middle? I mean, these are all choices for, for Adrian Heath, but I think at the end of the day, he's going to do what has suited them well, and that's playing simple, finding Amanda Reynoso maybe on the second ball, so not the first. Maybe it's not – maybe you find Will Trapp and then Will Trapp connects – with Amanda Reynoso, maybe you, you know, you find the space on the wings. Fregapane has been absolutely phenomenal um, this season since he scored, I believe it was against LA Galaxy on the road um, when they came and, and then went on the road and won 3-2. So I think that you've got to lean on that front four to really lead the line and be effective in their possession and take advantage of the combination play in the final third. That is when Minnesota is most effective is a combination play in the final third and using your outside backs to get forward and be a threat to really ask the questions of the defense. Is Kamar Lawrence back? I have no idea. So these are all things that we'll have to wait and see. But if it's traditional, normal, 4-2-3-1 with everybody that, that's available, I think the creativity in the final third is what has to lead the line against this FC Dallas side. I think if Minnesota keep Velasco quiet, the assumption is, is that he will play. He's been superb for them. I assume Dallas will come in and look to counter-press, as I, I sort of insinuated a little earlier on. They can do that because of the pace of Ariola in the one area of the field. Ferreira, no doubt, uh, is a danger. Um, at times, I think we'll see him drop a little bit and the two wide players will tuck in. Um, that may very well cause an issue or two for Minnesota United. Um, for me, though, from, from the Loon's point of view, Dallas have played a 4-3-3 for the majority of the season meaning that they often go with the singular six in the centre of midfield. If Reynoso can find the space either side of, let's say, it's Edwin Cerillo. He, he's been the one that's deputised over the course of the last couple of, of weeks. Maybe it's um, Facundo Quignon. Um, regardless of who it is, there seems to be space either side of that six, of that singular six. And if Minnesota, and in particular Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, can find those spots, then maybe there's an opportunity of consistently creating chances. Maybe as well, we see the likes of Pragapane come in. Uh, he will often drift inside as always, but there would be license to do so more now because of the singular six. So with what we're saying here as well, would it not make more sense to perhaps start Robin Lud out wide and have him maneuver inside? It's a tough one to, to crack for Adrian Heath because Longwane has been great over the course of the, the season as well. It's tough to drop him, but in these situations, Kay, it, it can't just be about, look, you, you've played really well. This is about, this is purely a tactical move that, that would make sense. And look, we, we have no, um, we have no inside 
we, we have no knowledge. We're recording this, as I said, at 12.30 on Thursday afternoon. We've not seen a lick of training yet. Um, but to me, that would make sense to bring the wider players inside because Minnesota have, have threats out wide regardless because of the marauding fullbacks anyway. I think uh, if Adrian Heath went with that and he, you know, quote unquote, dropped Longwane and put Robin Lewin in that wide position, I, I don't, I would not view it as dropping as well. I would view it as a purely tactical decision. I wouldn't view it as a, a demotion. And that's a way you can change the way you're going to play the game. And that is why you have variety in different positions. It's like, if you change the number nine, the number nine, if, if you have two different nines that play different ways, you're, it's not a demotion or it's not necessarily always being dropped. It's like, you're having to change the way you're going to play the game based on the opposition, based on what is or is not working for you in a particular match. So the only thing I worry about sometimes is when you have Fraga, Robin and Ray all on the field together in that four, two, three, one sitting underneath, let's say it's Luis Amaria is it can tend to get too crowded, even if you have a singular number six, not because they're throwing, because FC Dallas is throwing an additional body in there, but because everybody wants to be inverted. Everybody wants to cut in. So then you have to lean on those three to read that game, to read the game and figure out positionally, where do I need to be to allow Reynoso to get on the ball and work his magic so you're not crowding it, but be close enough in support to do a one-two combination play or whatever it might be. So, um, I, and we saw that before Robin slid into the center of midfield when Will Trapp got injured, that is the way it was and they were figuring it out. So I love the creativity from those three. I think they're all um, flying high with confidence. I think Robin Lude could probably do with a goal or an assist. It's been a while. I think he likes and enjoys to get farther up the field and, and in an attacking position, a more forward position. He'll play wherever they ask him to, and he'll always tell you that. But I think that we saw it a little bit against Salt Lake, pushing up a little bit higher um, when he came on as a sub. So um, I think that these are the way FC Dallas plays. You could absolutely take advantage of some of that space. And if your outside backs can do what they need to do, which we've seen, whether it's DJ Taylor, Kamar Lawrence, Neil Fisher, we can go down the line, Benitez, whoever it might be. Um, to be dangerous and be effective in those wide spaces at the center midfielders at the three in the midfield kind of pinch in a little bit. Okay, final question then. Um, psychologically, Kay, if Minnesota United were to get the victory against FC Dallas, they would go four points clear of Dallas um, and there would be a little gap. Now, we have to wait and see how the likes of Nashville and Salt Lake do as well. As you mentioned, they're on 42, Minnesota on 44 at the moment. But psychologically, Kay, how beneficial would a victory be on Saturday? I think that um, coming off the Salt Lake performance, it would even mean more so from that perspective. And again, you know, they, they have the different lineup in Salt Lake. You're on the road, you rotate of players. But at the end of the day, they won't be pleased or happy with how that performance was. So if you can come back home and rebound and have a good, solid performance, get the win and find a way to jump that much farther ahead of FC Dallas in that third position, um, I think that it will just continue as, as we know, confidence can go a long, long way. So rebounding from the Salt Lake loss, getting some goals, getting a clean sheet. I think three, nothing was the worst loss Minnesota's had this season, which is crazy to think considering some of the past years and um, some of the goals that Minnesota had given up the season. But I think that is a credit to the defense um, for the most part, how they've been this year. So I think that if, if you get the W, which you should in my mind at home at Allianz field in front of that fan base, um, I think that it will 
do wonders for you knowing what after that game we'll have six games left in the regular season so you want to try to stay in and hang tight to that third position i think first or second is probably out of the question here and lafc is already locked up um the postseason they're sitting in first place i think that um you'll feel pretty good as you continue to move on and have a, another tough stretch what's next is it portland after that correct uh, Portland timbers away the following weekend yeah so i mean these are the moments that you live for if you're a player and you're a coach. These are, if you, if you don't feel pressure, you don't have passion for what you're doing. And I know it sounds really cheesy, but these are the moments you live for. And these are the games you got to show up. Everybody on that roster, everybody on that staff, this is the time to shine. And I think that three points on Saturday would go a long, long way. Can't wait. Uh, at the moment, it is the biggest game of the season. And I get the feeling we'll be uttering that particular sentence over the course of the next few weeks. Before we go, another brief explanation of where this game is going to be broadcast. Once again, uh, Univision, Turiene, uh, have the game nationally in Spanish. The English language version will be available across the country on Twitter. Kindra and I will have the call locally, as always, on Bali Sports North. And for those of you without a television or access to one, of course, you can always listen to full match radio coverage on our radio partner, 1500 AM with Dan Terha and Johnny Harrison. All eyes focusing then on Saturday, 2.30 PM, Minnesota United against FC Dallas, third against fourth in the Western Conference, the biggest game of the weekend at Allianz Field. From all of us here, we'll see you on Saturday.